Seems like it has been a long time since I've been with my church family here at Great Exchange Covenant. You miss a Sunday or two and it's like, it feels like two Sundays. And then it feels like three and then it feels like you've been gone a whole month. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to be here uh, for the uh, retreat, which I heard was just fantastic. It was great. How many people went? Praise God. I'm hoping that next year, Lord willing, I'll be able to join you. Had an interesting last two weeks. I have, uh, in the last two weeks, I have uh, had one wedding uh, out in Santa Cruz and one funeral right here in San Jose. The uh, wedding was uh, for friends of ours uh, from 20 years back. They're one of their daughters. And the uh, funeral was for a dear pastor friend uh, whom I had the pleasure 15, 16 years ago or so of doing some mentoring. And so this morning as we prepare, uh, I want to uh, invite you as we look at this text, as we continue our series from Romans, uh, we're in this uh, series Inside Out. And I want to talk to you this morning about this piece about being a Christian and going through stuff, to put it in the just, just basic. Being a Christian and going through stuff. You see, the reality is that most of us, when we come to the faith, let's let's go back to the top. It works like this. Usually we have come to know Jesus Christ. Somebody has preached the word. We've heard the word preached. And when we heard the word preached, we said, oh, that's Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in, opens our heart up. Now that that individual has uh, responds to the spirit of God and then faith occurs. That individual embraces Jesus Christ and that person now is in Christ. And usually we kind of walk away with that because we say, oh, okay, so that's another one. I'm, I'm in now. I've got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. But the reality is that this life. Being a Christian in this life does not mean that everything is going to always be fantastic. In fact, on the contrary, being a Christian will invite certain difficulties and struggles and difficulties in your life that you probably didn't bargain for. Jesus said it this way. He says, in this world, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer. Don't worry. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will experience troubles, tribulations, trials, difficulties, but I have overcome. And what was he saying? In a sense, he was saying that because I have overcome and you are in me, you have overcome. In this series, we've been talking about These changes that go on inside of us that will be manifested outside and the things outside that may afflict us, then what does that do to us inside? My version of it. And so as we get into today's message, I've retitled the message. Uh, The title is actually tribute. It says in your bulletin something about hurts. But this is one of those in the middle of the night kind of revelations. where I said, you know, I don't like that title. And I said tribulations on the outside, hope on the inside, because what I want to speak about this morning, is the fact that as you and I will encounter struggles and difficulties and tribulations and challenges, God has already wired us. Please hear this. God has already wired us to be able to handle it. 
And not simply a stiff upper lip, kind of like suck it up kind of handling it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that will be totally foreign to most of us, for most Christians. And that is to be able to do what James says when he says, count it all joy. And when Paul says, rejoice when you go through stuff. It's counterintuitive. Most of us, I wouldn't, when I'm going through stuff, I don't want to rejoice. I don't want to count it all joy. It's not a time for laughter, Randall. It's a time that I'm walking around with my head down trying to figure out, woe is me, what happened? But yet the text tells us, the word of God tells us that there's something that God has done. He already knows that we're going to go through trials and difficulties and challenges. And so he has wired us through his spirit to be able to endure it. And not just endure it, but to be able to do it, endure it with the right attitude. If you have the Bible in the ESV version, it's up here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Pay a very close attention to that piece. I'm going to come back to that. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, as we take a stab at trying to understand how do we rejoice, God, I pray that you would open up your word to us, that you would help us to understand, help us to go deeper, that God, some kind of way we would be able to grasp the reality of these truths and integrate these in a very special way in our individual hearts, that we may come forth in a way that becomes a testimony to Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us, Father, to be the people that you have called us to be, not just in name, but in our attitude, in our behavior, in our actions, that all people will know that we belong to you regardless of the circumstances that are facing us. And we're so careful to give all the praise and all the glory and all the honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have ever read the book of Romans, you know that it is a very long book. It is what we would call the doctrine book of the Bible, one of the main doctrinal books of the Bible. In fact, some theologians have said that the book of Romans is a summation of all of Paul's theology. I'm not sure I would buy that 100%. There's a good part of Paul's theology in the book of Romans. But just just by way of kind of understanding some of the background to what was going on, because I think when you take a passage out of a book as, as extensive as the book of Romans, it, it's, it's very tricky. You don't want to just grab a passage and run with it without understanding something about the background, what's going on in that passage. And so in Romans, we know that it was written around, around A.D. 57 or 58. And we know that Paul was not in uh, uh, any province of, Roman, of Romans. He was actually in Corinth. And he was actually on his way. He had promised to go and be with the Roman church 
for a long, long time, and he had never been able to pull it off because it just could not come together for him to make that trip. And so he was visiting Greece on this third missionary journey. He'd been there for three months. I think Acts 20, verse 3 talks about that. And then at the same time, there's some other stuff going on because in Rome at this time, there are these Christians that are Roman Christians. And then you have these Jewish Christians there. And so there's this racial thing going on within the Roman church, within that area. And, and, and Paul is kind of addressing that. And at the same time, he's addressing another bigger issue of heresy that happens to be within that region. The heresy has to do with what we call the anti-nomian, anti-against nomian, nogas, which is against the law. You had this group called the anti-nominians who were actually people that were believed that, yes, uh, we believe in the grace of God, but we don't believe in the law. The law is gone and it's the grace of God. And so what it really means is you can live any way you really want to, because the more you sin, the more God's grace just explodes. And that was the antinomians group. That was a group that actually that was a heresy that was around. The other group on the other side was what you've heard before, the Judaizers who believed just the other wind. They believed that you need the law. Because without the law, everything unravels. Yes, you have to have grace, but you have to have the works of the law. And one of the ways you have to do that is you have to have Jesus plus the circumcision. You have to have Jesus plus some sort of law works thing. And so Paul is kind of in this book, in the book of Romans, he's kind of addressing that. And so all throughout the book of Romans, he's constantly making a strong, a very cogent argument for, wait a minute, let me tell you what it really is about. It's not about this whole thing of just you can get away and do any kind of way, live any kind of way you want. There's something called grace and there's something called faith. And let me tell you about it. And so most of the book, he's going to talk about this whole thing of God's grace and faith and how that operates within the Christian context. I said to you when we began that tribulations, trials, difficulties are normal. That's the normal Christian stuff. Paul writes later on in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and mature or complete. What I want to put out there this morning is that for the Christian man or woman, trials and difficulties become a way for God to shape and mold your character. We're going to get into the text in a minute. I'm going to show you something. It is a character formation experience. So every trial, this is my, the gist of what I'm going to say this morning to you. Every single trial, every single difficulty, every single challenge that you and I will face will be character formation stuff. 
In other words, what God is doing is God doesn't necessarily cause that difficulty or that trial or that problem in your life. But what he does is he says, I'm going to use that, Ali. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that because I see an opportunity where I can shape and mold your character. I see an opportunity where I can transform you from the inside out. So that when you get through all that you are going through, please hear this, church. When you get through going through all that you're going through, you're going to come forth with a whole different kind of way to see things. And guess what? You're going to be a little bit closer to me. You're going to be a little bit closer to me. If you do not want to be challenged in terms of your character formation, if you don't want to be changed or, 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 or go through any difficulties, then what you would do, which is the natural thing for the natural man and natural woman to do, is to find the easy way out. When difficulties and problems and issues come your way, you run. Every time something happens, you get away from it. Because it's easy rather than facing it head on saying, God, this is an opportunity for you to change me to for your glory. And in doing so, allow you to be able to boast. Because that's what that exalt is about. We're going to talk about that. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Let me just walk through this a little bit because I want you to I want you to understand what's going on here. Paul starts off this chapter. Now, remember, chapter divisions and all that stuff, are that, that's not necessarily where they are. So I go back a little bit further, and I go back and I look into chapter 3, and I start looking and I say, okay, Paul makes his argument about for, for, to the Romans in the very beginning, chapter 1, chapter 2, and basically he says that everybody is guilty. Jews and Gentiles, everybody alike, all have failed miserably. And then he says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so right away he snatches the carpet from anybody under anybody that would be able to stand and say, well, I'm a Jew. And somebody else said, well, no, I'm not one of those. He says, all of you are guilty. Everybody is guilty. He makes his case. And then he goes on to say that, well, it's not lost yet. Why? Because he says in verse 21 of chapter 3, he says, but now. Anytime you see but now in scripture, stop and pause. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, what he's doing is he's shooting down the whole thing about uh, you, you can stand on the law and you don't need grace. You can stand there. God is saying now there's a new righteousness in town and that righteousness comes from God. Only God. Why? Because he is the justifier. He is the one that makes us just. What do you mean, Pastor Ali, makes us just? He's the one that puts us in the right standing before God. Before we come to God, we are in the wrong standing. We're in the standing that's in rebellion to God because we're going our own way, doing our own thing, and we're happily doing it. We think we're just living life. And in reality, we're like dead men and women. And God is saying, when you come to Christ, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, and he comes into your heart, you become this person now that says, yes, Lord, 
I hear and I obey. I submit to your will. And now, God, I have been placed not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I've been given a new standing. And that's what that's all about. So that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Because what he's going to argue now is that this righteousness, this becoming just, is by faith. Righteousness through faith. See, see, the other folks were saying, oh, you just have to work your way. If you just do enough stuff, if you just give out enough bulletins, if you just preach enough sermons, if you just set up enough chairs, if you just do enough volunteering, some kind of way to buy you something. No. Buys you nothing. Buys you nothing. The only thing that buys you anything in this whole equation is to say, yes, I, am, I belong to Jesus Christ because I have said yes to Christ. I belong to Christ. He is my savior. He is real in my heart. He's real in my life. I am justified. I'm set right. I've been given a right standing in Jesus Christ alone. So then we get to chapter four and chapter four, Paul says, OK, I'm going to give you an example. And he talks about Abraham. And he talks about that whole thing. You can go back and read it yourself. But he talks about the whole thing, how Abraham was made righteous. He was counted as righteous. Oh, okay. God counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. And so he'll use Abraham and talk about how Abraham being the father, being an example of us all. Because what he's doing is he's slowly but surely moving to this place where he's saying, "Okay, just like I told you about Abraham and what God is doing, he is our father. Just like that happened. Now, guess what? It affects us because we are children of Abraham. We are Jews, not because we are connected in this heritage ethnic things, but because we have believed God and we have been treated as adopted sons and daughters. So we're just like we're in the Abrahamic family. So when we get to chapter five and he says, therefore, now you know why he's saying therefore, because he's saying we have been justified by faith. We've been made right before God by faith. We have peace with God. Peace in the sense that this, the way they're using peace here is it's in the sense that there's no more striving. There's no more anxiety. There's no more frustration now. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith. In other words, now we can come into God's presence. Well, what do you mean? We've always been able to come into God's presence. No, because in the Old Testament times, it was only the priests could do that. And when the rending of the veil, when the veil was torn, when, when, when Christ was crucified and the temple shook and the veil, was, veil, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, when that was torn, that opened up a new way so that everybody could come into the presence of God now. So that's what he's saying. Now you have been justified. You have access to God. All of us can approach the throne of grace with confidence now. And then he goes on, he says, into this grace, which we now stand. Now, we're standing in grace. Just work with me now, stay with me. We're standing in this place of grace. We're not standing in a place where we have to do works. We're standing in the place of grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Why? Because we're saying, yeah, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope. Who would not want to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? God is worthy to be praised and exalted, right? But wait a minute. Go a little bit further. Not only that, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings or afflictions or trials or difficulties. Uh Uh-oh, I don't hear any means now. See, that's the tricky part, see? It, it, It says we rejoice in our sufferings, but then it goes on to say knowing. Very key word. Knowing Knowing that suffering produces, and he goes on to talk about what it produces. So what is he saying? He's saying that in essence, there's something about rejoicing in a time when we're going through stuff that just honors God, and it's actually good for us. So in this text, I just want to pick out some some truths about tribulation. Starting at verse 3. We rejoice in the glory. What does that mean to rejoice? It's a word that actually means to speak loud, to boast. In our suffering, in our tribulation, knowing what? Knowing that perseverance, perseverance or patience or endurance, some texts will say, perseverance. Ah, What's going on there? It's something about being able to go through a challenge, a difficulty. And the word actually has this connotation of being able to hold it up, bear, bear it up. To be able to carry it. Be able to make it through. That's what it means. Being able to bear up under it. What you want to do, what I want to do, is when we go through something, when we're going where it's something we have brought on ourselves or something that someone else is bringing us on us, rather than fall into a place where we're, woe is me, we're down in the dumps, we don't know what to do, we just feel like we're totally just out there, we fall into a place where we say, God, through your grace, because I'm standing on this good ground of justification, I'm standing on a place of grace, now I can bear up under this. And I have the patience to make it through. The other one is a proven character. That is the uh, uh, integrity. The proven character is is to prove the integrity of the person. You don't break down. You're able to hold it up. Not you, but Christ in you is able to hold it up and bear up under it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. That you're true to who you are. You see, it's one thing to say that, well, I'm going through stuff and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to fall out. I'm hanging. That's why, you know, when, sometimes when you talk to people, they say, hey, how you doing? And they say, I'm hanging in there. And I, you know what I do when people tell me that? I say, no, you're not. You're a child of God. You're not hanging in anywhere. You're in. Next time somebody tells you, I'm hanging in there, say, tell them, no, you're in. Trust me. You're a child of God. You are in. You're not hanging in. If you say I'm hanging in there, it gives the impression that any moment you're going to drop into an abyss. And that's certainly not my experience with God. He's not going to just drop us into a hole somewhere. No, we're in. The challenge for us is to make sure that we realize our standing and so that when we go through whatever we're going through, that we're able to say, okay, God, this doesn't feel good. This does not feel good at all, but I'm going to be able to make it, God, because you are walking with me. And you have given me a place where I can stand firm on your grace because of the love that you have for me. Character produces hope. A well-grounded expectation, that's what hope is. An expectation that is firmly held 
about the future. See, see, that's why I say you're not just hanging in there because when you have hope, it's not just kind of a whimsical kind of, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope it works out okay. No, that's not Christian hope. Christian hope is I know. I know my Redeemer lives. I know I will get through. It doesn't look like it right now, but I know I will get through. Yeah, but you don't have a job, brother. That's all right. I'm going to have one. I'm going to have one. I was talking to a brother not too long ago, and he was desperately, not anybody in this church, he was desperately been looking for a wife for about the last three years. And, 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 and I, every time I see him coming, he, I know what the conversation is going to be. You know, hey, Pastor Ali, uh, yeah, uh, I, I met some girls, but uh, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I should get my friend to ask. And uh, I said, get your friend to ask. What? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I'm like 30-something years old. Like, you're like 31. <laughs> 31. What's the pressure here? Well, I, you know, I just, I, all my friends, everybody else has gotten married. Well, I guess I'll just see. I, I, I'm hoping that I can, well, you, you, you got to be more assertive, more aggressive than that partner. You got to look, I know that God has a wife for me. I know he has a wife for me. I don't know her name yet, but I know he has one for me. I don't even know what she looks like yet, but I know he has one for me. I don't know what he, all I know is he's got one for me. That's hope because it's more certain about the future. Does that make sense? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now, One of, one, of the, one of the difficult places with this whole thing of enduring as we're dealing with tribulations and trouble on the, outs, on the outside and hope on the inside is that sometimes, sometimes, hear this now, sometimes it may look like to somebody else that we're faking it. Oh, I just totaled my car, praise the Lord. No, no, that, that's, that's real hope, real joy, real glory comes from the fact that you know, you know that God is superintending your future. And there's no anxiety about that. I was standing at the bedside of my pastor friend. It's been three weeks now. I was standing there at the hospital at Stanford, uh, critical care unit, D-132, room number. I'll never forget it. And I, all the monitors were all around him, and they had taken his breathing tube out, so he, he was still kind of hoarse. He couldn't really talk, talk. Prior to that, I could just, he was just looking at me, and he couldn't say anything because they had the breathing tube. But uh, I leaned over to him, and I said, uh, I said, hey, you know, there's all kind of folks praying for you, man. You know, folks are praying for you that don't even pray. They're praying for you. And he smiled. I said, but you know, and I leaned over, I said, God may have some different plans for you. Are you okay with that? And he said, I know, Pastor. I know. I know. And what he was saying 
is that even though it doesn't look like my situation is promising, please hear this, church. Even though it doesn't look like the situation is promising, I believe that God still has my best, best, best interest at heart. And for whatever reason, I'm going to go with the plan that God has. When I said that to my friend, Pastor Will, three days later, he was gone. In fact, I missed him by two hours. I was getting to the hospital, and I got delayed and got there two hours later, and he was already passed. The whole while leading up to his death was this kind of anticipation. I, I, wish, I, I wish I could beam you into that room and push the clock back three weeks and let you see that. Because it wasn't a sad occasion. It was kind of a spirit of one who knew with a great deal of assurance and confidence that God, whom he had preached about, whom he had talked about, whom he had believed all this time, that that God was going to now open the doors of glory and allow him to step in. And he wasn't sad about it. In fact, his wife and the children standing around the bed, they, 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 they were going through the you know, swings of moods, of course, because you're losing a loved one. That's natural, normal. But there'll be those moments when I tell you what, right there in D-132 at Stanford Hospital in the critical care, there'll be so much shouting and celebration going on. I watched the nurses and the doctors that they were kind of walking in, they'd kind of go in and do their little thing and then walk out and, because it wasn't a sad thing. Yes, he was dying, but he knew He knew that to die, as Paul would say, was gain. To be absent from this body, he knew, was to be present with his Lord. And he was confident of that. That's hope. That's real hope. When you know that God has got you. Now, why did I I tell you that? Because this whole thing about, and you won't be put to shame. Because there are times when we will go through stuff. And I've seen cases where I've been in the hospital with people and they, they were almost embarrassed that they were sick. Some kind of way, like they were thinking that some kind of way they, they, they're supposed to like put, have, have their life together or something or be able to live and not have any issues with their health. And, and, and they were almost embarrassed. Oh, there's no shame. There's no embarrassment. All of us will get sick. All of us will die one day. All, every single one of you sitting here, all of us will have a death one day. You will die. The bottom line is, are you prepared for it? Are you able to say, I know my Redeemer. I know in whom I believed. That's the difference. Because when this world is over, this world is just a drop in the bucket. It's just, Paul says, your life is like a vapor. Just peer for a minute and then it's gone. I turned 62 uh, this year, and it's like, I can remember when I was like 32 years old, like the little guy that was talking about he's looking for a wife. It's like, gosh, that was just, seemed like that was just a few years ago. And I'm 62. Statistically, that doesn't leave a lot of time. Am I stressed about it? No. Do I have a sense of urgency of preaching the gospel, getting the word out, serving, doing what all that? Yes. I don't want to waste time. But I know 
that my time will come to a close one day. Your time, well, you're young now. Your time will, you got a little bit more time. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've had illnesses or sickness or something. We don't have a lot of time. And so look at life now in the sense that this is an opportunity, God, to, 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 as God is moving us along on this journey, to keep pushing for the glory of God. And when you run into those challenges, those difficulties in life, look at that as an opportunity to do what? To allow God to shape and mold your character, even if it comes down to death. If you're with me still, say amen. amen. Okay, one more and we'll be done. That's if I can get my password right. It's technology. So what? What does all this mean? I, I put this sentence together, and it's syntactically, syntactically, it's, uh, you know what I'm saying. It's not fitting the right syntax. That's what I'm trying to say. It, 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 it kind of feels a little awkward to me because I like to write and, and it's like, but I think I captured what, what I needed to say here. If we remain steadfast in our faith, grounded in who? Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. All this time I've been preaching, man, and, and, and that, come on, come on now. Grounded in who? Jesus Christ. Grounded in who? Jesus Christ. Grounded in who? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Don't don't do that to me. (laughs) Grounded in Jesus Christ. Then we will experience peace. That is undisturbed well-being in the midst of tribulation in this world because we understand our righteous standing before God who has demonstrated his grace and his love for us, demonstrated by his grace and his love for us. This will result in our boasting. That's what glorying is, boasting in genuine hope. This is real transformation from the inside out. This is real transformation from the inside out. In the Old Testament, I love this book, the book of Job. And uh, Job, you remember, is going through a lot of stuff. Unbeknownst to God, that uh, unbeknownst He's not aware that God has kind of orchestrated some things behind the scene, and he's going through some stuff now. And his buddies come around to try to cheer him up, and they don't do a good job of trying to cheer him up. In fact, they make him feel really bad. And one of them, his name is Eliphaz, speaks to him and kind of basically saying, look, uh, what you're going through is pretty good. That's, that's my version of it. I don't want to read all the stuff, but basically he's saying, what you're going through is for you good, man. Suck it up. Then Job responds. Listen to what he says. Oh, this is in chapter 6 of Job, starting at verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exalt in pain, unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? See, he's he's antsy because all this stuff has happened and he he wants to know where, where is this going? Is my strength, is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me? Now watch this. He's asking, have I any help in me? 
when resource is driven from me? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? Now, he's saying that way before Christ comes on the scene. For us, we don't have to ponder because we know that there is help within us. Christ, the King of glory, his spirit resides in us. And that allows us to be able to get through whatever we're going through. I've shared with this church many times over the last few, well, the last year or so, about some of the most challenging times I've faced in the last two years. If there ever has been a time in my Christian walk where there, I, was, I was almost at the point of just throwing my hands up, I'm going to say this to my discredit. Judge me if you want it. I don't care. When you're 62, you don't sweat stuff like that. But I was almost at the point, Dr. D, of throwing my hands up. And then I was reminded through the word of God and through prayer to boast, to exalt while he's working his will, working his way through me, because I know that he is working character stuff here. Please hear this now. I'm finishing up. He's working character stuff here. And what he does is he does it in some of the most Bizarre times sometimes, the most inconvenient times, it's always according to the way he wants it to go, not the way I want it to go. I would choose a different route. He's working patience in me. We read about endurance. He's helping me to be able to do what? Look at him. Keep my eyes focused on him. Because if I look at my circumstance over the last two years, if I had looked at my circumstance, I would have become so discouraged. Potentially, I would have gone into depression almost. But God, but God, but God, somebody say, but God, but God, but God is the one who has brought me through and who continues to be faithful. Even as I'm walking through, he walks with me. He will not abandon me. He will not abandon you. He walks with us through whatever we are going to go through for his glory. Amen. 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 God bless you.